So our Old Testament reading from tonight, for tonight is from Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool of water and the thirsty land springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, in their lairs, There will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. A road will be there and a way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Even the fool will not go astray. There will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go upon it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it, and the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, Crowded with unending joy, so crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. So if you flip over your page and you'll see the next reading, which is from the New Testament, Matthew fifteen, twenty-nine to sixteen, verse twelve. Moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on a mountain and sat there, and large crowds came to him having with them the lame, the blind, the deformed, those unable to speak, and many others. He put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking, the deformed restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they gave glory to the God of Israel. Now Jesus summoned his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise, they might collapse on the way. The disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in this desolate place to fill such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said, and a few small fish. After commanding the the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish and he gave thanks, broke them and kept kept on giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were filled. Then they collected the leftover pieces, seven large basketfuls. Now those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. After dismissing the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. The Pharisees and Sadducees approached, and as a test, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When evening comes, you say, it will be good weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy because the sky is red and threatening. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. The disciples reached the other shore, and they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus told them, Watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they discussed among themselves, We didn't bring any bread. 
Aware of this, Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many large baskets you collected? Why is it you don't understand that when I told you, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, it wasn't about bread? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the yeast and bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Ben. Emma, welcome. My name is Paul. We're in Matthew's Gospel, so please keep that passage in front of you. And I'm going to pray. Father, we come to you tonight with lots on our minds and lots of things happening in our, our lives and in this world. And we ask that you would clear our minds, that we might focus on you. Uh, we pray that you would soften any hard hearts, that you would humble any proud hearts, that you would comfort any aching hearts, and that you would strengthen those of us who are weary. We pray that your word would not return to you empty tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. These are lyrics from the song that we sing. It's called Mighty to Save. It's up on the screen. Everybody needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. I love that song. We sing it regularly. We had it sung at at our wedding. But look what we're singing about. We're singing about the, the compassion of God and the love of God, and the mercy of God. We're thinking about how much we need God's compassion, how much we need God's love, and how much we need God's mercy. And we're declaring that that first word, everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs to experience the compassion of God from the healthiest person to the terminally ill, from the the mega rich to those living in poverty, from the most educated person to the most uneducated, from the most morally up to the mass murderer, everybody needs to experience the, the compassion, the mercy, and the kindness of God. Isn't that a great lyric? Everyone needs compassion. Do you know that? That the biggest need in your life is the compassion, the mercy, and love of God. Do you know that everyone that you know, your friends, your family, your work colleagues, what they need more than anything else in the whole of life is to experience the compassion, the love, and the mercy of God. And I love that third line, let mercy fall on me. It's that humility to say, Lord, I need your mercy. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I need your compassion. Lord, I need you. And tonight I want to focus on the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus full of compassion. The modern song says everyone needs compassion. The old hymn, Love Divine, puts it probably a bit better. Uh, Jesus, thou art all compassion. Pure and bounded love thou art. And what the hymn writer is saying there is if you want to experience the compassion of God, if you want to experience the unbounded love of God, the only person to go to is the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is all compassion. 
What does that word compassion mean? What does it mean that Jesus shows compassion? The kids talk this morning, kids talk's often the best way to simplify things. It, it means that you see the need, you feel the pain, and you act to help. So it means to show compassion. You, you see someone in need, you feel, you sympathize with their suffering, and then you act to help them. And that's the Jesus that we meet in Matthew chapter 15, uh, a Jesus who is full of compassion. Let's just read it together. Verse 29, moving on from there, the there is the, the, the Canaanite woman who has come to Jesus and begged at his feet, Lord, help me, Lord, have mercy, my daughter is sick. And Jesus says, woman, your faith is great. And moving on from that Canaanite woman, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. This is where your geography is important. He goes down the southeast coast of the Sea of Galilee. So we're still in Gentile territory. He's still ministering to the Gentiles, not the Jews. And he went up a mountain and he sat there. When you read of Jesus going on the mountain, he's going to do one of two things. Either he's going to pray, he's going to spend time with his heavenly father, or he's going to teach. He might have gone to pray, but large crowds follow him in verse 30. And we know they're extremely large, because look at verse 38. Uh, those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and the children. So we're talking about maybe 10,000, maybe 20,000 people. Did you picture the scene? We were praying for 4,000 down at Cowers Under the Bridge. This is 10,000 people, 20,000 people just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we're supposed to ask, who are they? Why have they come to Jesus? Why have they climbed this mountain to meet Jesus? Who are they? Well, they're people in need, aren't they? Verse 30, the large crowds came to him, and it's like the parade of the, the walking wounded. They have with them the lame because their legs don't work and the blind because the eyes don't work and the, the deformed because their bodies don't work and unable to speak because their mouths won't work and many other people. And you imagine the scene that, 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 that Jesus is there and his people are bringing stretchers and wheelchairs and, and they've got canes with them and, and there's thousands of people and it's pretty humbling because verse 30, they put them at his feet. Isn't that humbling? They're not able to put themselves at the feet of Jesus, but their friends and their family put them there. Now, what does Jesus do? Put yourself in his shoes. You've gone up to the mountain, maybe you've got to talk, talk to your Heavenly Father, and all these people follow you. And they've got all these problems, all these issues. It's a bit like being in ministry. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm too busy for you, leave me alone. He doesn't say, I've come here to pray to my Heavenly Father, go away. He doesn't say, do you know who I am? I'm the Son of God, I'm more important than you are. Jesus loves them. Jesus has compassion on them. Look what he does in verse 30, he, he healed them. Isn't that amazing? 
that Jesus has the power to, to heal these people. He has the ability to give sight to blind people because he's the Messiah. Remember who these people are? They're not his chosen people. They're the Gentiles. They're the, the dogs eating the crumbs under the table. They're the people who are outside the covenant blessings. More than that, they are, they are it's a bit offensive, but they're, they're dogs with disabilities. They're the lowest of the low. They're the nobodies. They're shunned by societies. And we're supposed to go, wow, Jesus, he loves them. He healed them. Do you sometimes read the scriptures a bit too fast? You skip over verses. You know, oh, I know that, I know that. I did that this week, you know. Read that verse, he healed them. I didn't stop and just think about how miraculous that was. And then I sort of kind of imagined a, a factory assembly line of all these sick, wounded people in front of Jesus. And, and there's Jesus and it says, oh, what's your problem? Oh, I'm blind. Oh, you can see. What's your problem? Oh, I can't walk. Legs are fixed. What's your problems? I can't hear. Oh, you're fixed. Next, 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 next. That's not Jesus. This is what it would have been like. He'd be on the mountain and, and he'd spot that man over there who, who's been lame since he was born and he can't walk and his friends have brought him on a stretcher. And I imagine Jesus went over to him and he looked at him. And he felt his pain and he knelt down and he said, get up and walk. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that this man for the first time in his life, his legs work and he can stand and he can walk and he can leap and he can dance well, he's not an Anglican if he's dancing. <laughs> and there's a woman over there, and she, she's been blind from birth. Can you imagine that your whole life is just pitch blackness? And Jesus sees her, and he looks at her, and his heart goes out to her. He doesn't need to heal her. He chooses to heal her. And can you imagine, for the first time in your life, you can see colors? Can you imagine never having seen any colors before? and shapes and for the first time in your life you see what your husband looks like and the joy that floods over her heart and there's, there's a man over there he's been deaf since he was born living in that cone of eerie silence and suddenly he can hear sounds like the birds singing and the, the leaves rustling and the, the waves lapping on the Sea of Galilee. And there's a mute man over there. He says, I can speak, I can speak. And the deaf man's saying, I can hear, I can hear. And you're supposed to imagine not a factory line, but a party, a praise party, because all these needy people have come to Jesus and Jesus has not said to them, go away, I'm too important. He's healed them because he loves them. He has compassion on them. No wonder, verse 31 tells us the crowds were amazed. Where the, the parade of the walking wounded turns into a praise party to Jesus. Those unable to speak were talking, the deformed were restored, the lame were walking, the blind were seeing, and they were astonished. Who is this man? Who has the power to do this? And why would he do it? And why would he bother with these odd, random bunch of Gentiles? It's not just amazement, is it? Verse 31, the crowd gave glory to the God of Israel. 
They saw beyond the gift to the giver. They saw beyond the healing to the, the hand of the healer. And they praised God himself, the God of Israel. He's not their God. He is Yahweh, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious, abounding in love, merciful God. And they praised him. I spent time this week in my study and reading this passage. And I had my, my Goodmore College biblical theology hat on and I'm thinking, oh yeah, okay, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 35 where when the Messiah comes, the lame will walk and the blind will see and the, the dead will rise. This is just a, a messianic fulfillment and I could preach a sermon on biblical theology. And then I thought, you know, these Gentiles have probably never read Isaiah 35. They're praising the God of Israel because... Jesus has just healed them and shown them compassion and love and mercy, and that's why they're praising him. It's a massive party, isn't it? It lasts for three days, verse 32. I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me for three days. Three days and three nights of, of healings and miracles and praising to the God of Israel. And Jesus, again, has compassion because they don't have anything to eat, and he doesn't want to send them away hungry. They might collapse and the disciples say in verse 33, don't you just love the disciples? It's just been a few days since Jesus fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. And the disciples say to Jesus, verse 33, where can we get enough bread in this desolate place to fill such a crowd? Have they forgotten the feeding the 5,000? Lots of discussion as to whether there were two separate feedings or one feeding there's got to be two because Jesus says down in chapter 16, don't you remember the, the five loaves for the five thousands and the seven loaves for the four thousand? Two separate events. So, so why does Jesus repeat this feeding miracle? And the clue is who he's feeding. Who is Jesus feeding in the, in the five thousand? Can you remember? The Jewish people. The Israelites. And Jesus was saying to them, you know, I am the one who's going to provide the manna from heaven as you go to the promised land. But who's he feeding now in this miracle of the 4,000? Gentile dogs. The people who the Jews think are lost outside of God's forgiveness, and yet Jesus provides for them, Jesus loves them, Jesus feeds them, and Jesus shows them compassion. Jesus is saying, I haven't just come for the Jews, I've come for all people. Because I have compassion on all people. Look at that word in verse 32, I have compassion on the crowd. I see their needs, I feel their pain, and I act to help. And I think that's the key to this passage. Now, I could preach a sermon tonight on the power of Jesus. Jesus has the power to heal the sick, the power of a death, the power of disease, the, the power to provide for 10,000 people from seven loaves. That would be a good sermon on the power of Jesus. And maybe you're here tonight, you to hear that sermon, that Jesus is the all-powerful one who can meet your every need. I could preach a sermon on Jesus being the Messiah, you know, the, the sign the Messiah was coming, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear, the blind would see. And that's definitely here in this passage. I could preach a sermon on the resurrection because that's here in this passage because 
Jesus doesn't promise to heal us today. He could do that. He might do that. He doesn't promise that. But he does promise in the new creation there will be no sickness and no suffering and no lame and no blind and no deformities. But I decided to preach just on that one word, compassion. Because I think our church needs to hear it. Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd. I have a love for these people that the Pharisees and the religious people despised. I have a love for the people, the men, the women who are lost and helpless. I saw their material needs. They had no bread. They were going to starve, so I fed them. I saw their physical needs. They couldn't walk, so I healed them. I know their spiritual needs. They are Gentiles. They're cut off from the promises, but they need forgiveness. They need love. They need hope. They need a savior. And I have compassion on them because that's the heart of Jesus. Man of compassion. Look who he's talking to in verse 2. Verse 32. Jesus summoned his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he says, I have compassion on the crowd. I don't think he's boasting. Why is he telling the disciples that he has compassion on the crowd? I think Jesus is saying, you know all these people who you are treating as nobodies and dogs? I love them. But you don't, do you? You don't. You don't think I should feed them. You don't think I should heal them. You don't think I should love them. Because to you, they are different from you. They're not like you. They are Gentiles and you're a Jew. And that was my kind of aha moment this week from verse 33. The disciples said to Jesus, where could we get enough bread to fill such a crowd? And I don't think they're questioning Jesus' power. I don't think they're that stupid. You can't be that stupid to forget a miracle a few days later. They've seen the 5,000. They've got the T-shirt. I think they are questioning whether Jesus should perform this miracle for these dirty, filthy, wretched, Gentile dogs. He's saying, you've got to get bread because they can't have our bread because that would make us all unclean. But Jesus feeds them and he gets the disciples to distribute the bread and touch the same bread that the Gentiles have eaten. J.C. Ryle, who says of this passage, no one ever seems to have felt so much when he saw a crowd as our Lord Jesus Christ. He wept in their pain, he saw their need, he sympathized with their sufferings, and he took action to help. Jesus, thou art all compassion. Now here's the challenge, friends. A hard challenge. If you're here tonight and you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you say you're living for Jesus, you're loving like Jesus. That's our mission statement. Living for Jesus, loving like Jesus. We're supposed to emulate him, aren't we? I'm not saying that, or suggesting that you have the, the power to give sight to the blind or cure deformities. You're not the Messiah. But you can have and you should have that same attitude of compassion. See the need, feel the pain, act to help. Listen to this prayer by Mother Teresa. It's about the church. Christ has no body now but yours. 
no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on his world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. And what she's saying there is that the way that Jesus chooses to show compassion is through you and through me. I mean, is our mission statement more than just words on the paper, living for Jesus, loving like Jesus? Of course, the best way, the most important way to love someone like Jesus is to tell them the, the, the gospel, to point them to the cross where their sins are forgiven. That's their biggest need. You've got to do that. But you know, it might just start with an act of compassion, an act of kindness. And casting crowns say this A fatherless home, a child's broken heart. You're holding her hand, you're straining for words, she's desperate for hope, and she's looking to you. Just love her like Jesus. Carry her to him, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. You don't need the answers to all of life's questions, just know that he loves her and stay by her side, love her like Jesus. Let me challenge you. How are you going to love people like Jesus this week? How are you going to show compassion to people? It might be organized compassion. You might choose to get a compassion child. What a great organization they are. Food, water, clothing, shelter, Bibles for, for kids in the developing world. You might choose to come to community lunch or Christmas Day lunch and you'll sit alongside someone who, who is different, they look different, they smell different, they are different and they're in need and you love them like Jesus. You talk to them and you care for them. You, don't, you treat them with dignity. It might be spontaneous, someone in your life who is hurting in need and you can sit with them and cry with them and, and provide for them. But let's make sure it's not about you. Often we do acts of compassion because it makes us feel good, doesn't it? The self-glorification. It's not about you. It's about helping them and pointing them towards Jesus. Do you know the, the place, the best place to learn compassion? It's the waiting room of the intensive care unit at a, at a hospital. Have you ever been in there, that place? The men and women sitting in this room waiting for news of their loved ones. Will my husband live? Will my child live? Will my child walk again? And believe me, all race or class, it just disappears. And you sit together, and you love each other, and you care for each other, and it's just a place of deep compassion. And that's what I'm challenging you to do, church to have compassion on the crowds, to love them like Jesus. Of course, not everyone likes the Jesus of compassion. Lots of churches don't like all this talk of the compassionate Jesus. What, the, what they really want is the religious Jesus, the rules, the rituals, the, the holiness, in their best English accent, the holiness of Jesus. 
And Jesus says, that's pharisaical. The Pharisees and Sadducees approach Jesus as a test, verse chapter 16. They come to Jesus, he's just healed, he's just fed 4,000 people, and they approach Jesus not to worship him, not to praise him, but to test him, to challenge him, to shame him, to embarrass him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Isn't that arrogant? Isn't that disrespectful? What other signs do they want? Maybe they want a sign from heaven like fire after Elijah prayed or the sun stopping shining after Joshua prayed. Come on, Jesus, give us a sign. Give us a miracle. Prove beyond doubt that you really are the Messiah. But they're not interested. And Jesus rebukes them in verse 2. He says, you're good weathermen, but you're bad theologians. And when evening comes, you say, you know, it'll be good weather because the sky is red. Red sky at night, shepherd's delight. And in the morning, red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. Uh, you know how to read the weather, but you can't read the signs of the times. You're asking for signs, but here I am, Jesus the Messiah. I've healed the sick, I've given sight to the blind. The lame will walk, the blind will see, the dead will rise, and you're still asking for a sign. And Jesus calls a spade a spade. He says, there you are in your, all your religious finery, with your rules and your rituals. But, verse 4, you are an evil and adulterous generation because you're demanding a sign. Well, let me tell you, no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And he walked away from them. And I imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees are sort of huddled together around their scroll saying, what does he mean, the sign of Jonah? It's a good question, though. What does he mean, the sign of Jonah? Who was Jonah in the Bible? Jonah was the man chosen by God to go to Nineveh. What was Jonah's problem with the Ninevites? They were too wicked. Surely God couldn't have compassion on them. They were beyond God's love. They were beyond God's mercy. They were beyond God's compassion. And he turns to the Pharisees and says, maybe you're just like Jonah. You can't believe that these Gentiles can be healed and forgiven. Of course, the other sign of Jonah is that just as Jonah was in the, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights and then was vomited out, so, so Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights and then he defeated death. That's the sign of Jonah, that the, the, the cross happened and the sins were forgiven. The tomb was empty, death has been defeated, and you want more signs? What more signs do you really want? Jesus, I imagine Jesus saying to the, the, the religious people, uh, I've healed the sick, I've given sight to the blind, I've fed 5,000 people, I've raised the dead, I'm going to a cross, the tomb will be empty, and what more do you want? Let me, into a little, let, me let you into a little secret. Most people who deny Christ or refuse to believe, it's not about the evidence. The evidence is crystal clear. It's about this, it's about the heart, a hard-heartedness. It's about this, the eyes, it's just blindness. They can't see who Jesus is. Maybe that is you tonight, a Pharisee, 
love the rules, love the rituals, love the performance, striving to be holy, but no real relationship with Jesus. The disciples still don't get it, though. Verse 5, the disciples reached the other shore, and they've forgotten to take bread. If you look back to verse 37, that's pretty stupid because there were seven large baskets full left over. Did they really forget or did they think that that bread was now unclean because the Gentiles had eaten it? And Jesus told them, watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I just love them, they're so stupid. They discussed among themselves, we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing that you don't have bread? Don't you get it? It's not about the bread. Verse 12. It's about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's saying, don't be led astray. Be discerning. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, as you follow me, as you live in this world, be very careful who you listen to. Be very careful who you follow be very careful which Christian books you read and which preachers you podcast because there will be some people who will lead you down the road of religious Pharisaism. Graceless Christianity. Don't be sucked into that. Just be very careful. And maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you need to hear that Preachers who constantly tell you what to do and what not to do, but don't point you to the grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. That can kill a man and kill a woman and destroy a church. Beware of the yeast. It looks so insignificant, but it can affect the whole batch. And I'm just standing here as your pastor tonight saying, just love Jesus more. Love the real Jesus. The Jesus of grace the Jesus of compassion, the Jesus of mercy. And when you see the crowd lost, helpless, without a shepherd, see the need, feel the pain, act to help, and point them to Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, thou art all compassion Lord Jesus we thank you for the compassion you've shown us you know our hurts you know our trials you know our pains and you love us you saw us in our sin and our wickedness and our rebellion and you loved us You knew that we couldn't save ourselves and you still loved us and you died for us and we say thank you. Lord, please help us to be a people who are like our Savior. Seeing the need, feeling the pain, acting to help. Make us a church that has compassion on people that they may know Christ and the fullness of knowing him. I'll sat for Jesus' sake. Amen.